You are listening to the Hippie Haven podcast, where we have honest conversations about how easy and sometimes how hard it can be to save the planet and why it's so important. If this is your first time listening, welcome. My name's Callie. I'm a zero waste activist and consultant, the founder of Bestowed Essentials, my line of ethical and eco-friendly lifestyle products, and I travel full-time around the United States in my camper van, hence my blog name, ahippieinavan.com, which is where you can go to learn more about me, this podcast, and all the work I do. My mission is to inspire you to take action, because the planet needs our help now more than ever, and I truly believe that together, we can make a difference. This episode of the Hippie Haven podcast is brought to you by Bestowed Essentials, my line of ethical and eco-friendly home goods, handmade in our new store in Rapid City, South Dakota. Our products are certified vegan and cruelty-free, made with all natural ingredients and no palm oil, with plastic-free packaging and shipping. We are a low-waste company, sending less than 10 pounds of trash to the landfill on a monthly basis, and a third of our electricity comes from renewable solar and wind sources. We donate 10% of every order placed on our website to provide clean drinking water where it's needed most around the globe. Shop now at bestowedessentials.com. In 2006, Rachel Papworth cleared out all the junk from her home and has lived clutter-free ever since. A trained coach with a psychology degree, she's now a member of the Association of Professional Declutterers and Organizers, as she helps people with too much stuff to declutter and create homes they love that support them to live the life of their dreams. Show notes for this episode are available at www.ahippianavan.com forward slash 024, where you'll find a full transcript and links to everything we mentioned. How do you define clutter? I have a a three-part definition for clutter. You can ask yourself three questions to decide whether something is clutter or not. So first of all, are you legally obliged to keep this item? So it's your driving license or it's your passport or something. You're going to get into trouble if you don't keep it. Um, if it, if it passes that test, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're legally obliged to keep it, it's not clutter. If it doesn't pass that test, ask yourself the second question. So that's, do I need this item or am I realistically likely to use it? And if you can't decide whether you're realistically likely to use it or not, um, think about whether you've used it in the last year. It's not like a hard or fast rule. Like if you haven't used it in the last year, you have to get rid of it. But it's a good little guide. It kind of helps you to think about whether you're realistically likely to use the item again. Obviously, if it passes that test, you keep it. If it's not, you ask the next question, which is, do you simply love that item? And and often that's um, things that we keep for sentimental reasons and photographs and mementos and so on, or just something that we find very beautiful around the house. And then if you you really love it, it's not clutter and you keep it. But if 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 the answer to all three of those questions is no, it's clutter and you no longer need to keep it. And when you're working with clients, how do you even begin to tackle clutter in the home? I... um, the first thing I would do is get them to show me around the house and tell me what's bothering them. So they can, they, people as, they, as we walk around will, will tell me what their hotspots are. You know, it's driving them nuts that the kitchen work surfaces are cluttered or the desk in their study is cluttered or beside their bed is cluttered. And so then we decide where we're going to start. Quite often I have to um, be, I have to help people to manage their expectations. People often overestimate how much they can do in a session. So they'll say, oh, my office is a total mess. Can we do that today? And I'll say, probably not the whole office because you have to be really thorough. Like if you're going to do a proper job, you have to go through everything. So quite often I'm asking people to narrow down and think about a specific area. And then I'll ask them like, what's really bothering you? Or or also what might be a quick win? You know, what could you do that would make such a massive difference to you? You can do it quite quickly, but it's going to make you feel amazing when you've done it and the house is going to work so much better. 
And then we, we narrow down on a, on a small area and we get started there and make a real difference there. And what are your tips for organizing paperwork? Mm, I love paperwork. Paperwork's my favorite. Everybody hates doing paperwork, but I, I really love it because I think the decisions are really simple. You might, it's either an action or you need to file it or you're going to recycle it or potentially shred it. You, know, you don't kind of have stuff that needs to be taken to the charity shop or, you know, stuff that you've got to return to your mate or stuff. You know, it's just, it's, I think it's really simple. My, my biggest tip for paperwork is to keep on top of it. So process your mail daily and don't let things sit around and schedule all the tasks. So often paperwork is lying around because there's a task associated with it and we're putting it off or we haven't decided when we're going to do it. If you schedule the task, then you don't have to leave the paperwork lying around to remind you. And also you'll actually get the task done and then you can get rid of the piece of paper. So that's, that's my biggest, biggest tip really is to, is to schedule the tasks associated with it and to keep on top of it. And what about getting rid of sentimental items? Sentimental clutter is another area that people find very, very difficult. Um, but the first thing I would say is not to focus specifically on sentimental items. So don't, when you're, when you're tackling a very cluttered space, don't think, right, how am I going to deal with these sentimental items? I would advise people to be systematic and go through everything in a space, whether it's sentimental or not. And then some of those items will be sentimental and some won't. But the chances are you'll be getting rid of so much other stuff that you can keep the sentimental items without it being a problem. If you've got so much sentimental stuff that it's overwhelming you, so if, you, if you're really struggling to let go of sentimental items, you know you've got too many of them, then it's time to obviously to start thinking about how you might reduce that. And some of the questions you can ask yourselves are things like, um, have you got more than one object that's serving the same function? So have you got several things that remind you of a particular person or place or time or event? And do you need so many of them? Um, you can also think about what your motivation is in keeping a sentimental item. Sometimes we hang on to sentimental items that don't make us very happy, like old love letters from a, an affair that didn't, you know, that's ended and that makes you unhappy to think about. Or we keep um, photographs of an event that we didn't really enjoy or photographs of ourselves in which we don't look very good. So yeah, it's often quite a good idea to look at why you're hanging on to this item, what you're getting out of hanging on to it and whether it's really contributing something to your life. And then another good thing is to create some kind of limit to the amount that you can keep. So, for example, you can create a, create a memory box. Some people create a memory box for each of their children. And you have it, obviously, it's a fixed size. You put stuff in it as their lives pass. And then if it gets too full, you've got to start thinking, well, maybe something can go now before I put anything else in it. But you kind of manage the size of the amount of stuff that you're keeping. And what are your recommendations for digital clutter? Oh, I'm actually just in the process of making a video course on digital decluttering. So that's very much at the forefront of my mind. Um, I'm coming up with a system to enable people to maintain inbox zero. That'd be my biggest thing is you've got to have inbox zero emails arriving on top of undealt with unread existing emails is so stressful. Personally, that to that's one of my total stresses. If I can't keep my inbox empty and more emails are piling in on top, I find that way more stressful than snail mail coming through the door. So definitely maintain inbox zero. Um, and then beyond that, it's really very similar to the rest of decluttering. You know, it's about, it's about keeping what you need and letting go of what you don't need. One thing that's different about digital decluttering from physical decluttering is that you cannot solve a physical 
uh, clutter problem with storage. It's very tempting to think, well, you know, what clever nifty storage solution is going to solve my, my clutter issue. But if you try and solve your clutter issue with storage, you just end up filling up that storage and then you've got more clutter and then you have to buy more storage and the problem just keeps compounding. You know, like if you get a bigger handbag, you just put more stuff in it. But with digital stuff, our, the amount of storage that we've got is pretty much unlimited. So actually, whereas in the olden days when my hard drive was only like, I think my bank, one of the first computers I ever owned, the hard drive was only about one gig. I did have to get rid of stuff in order to make room for the new stuff. So when I finished a project, I would go through and get rid of all the files I no longer needed and archive the ones that onto floppy disk, the ones that I did want to keep. But now uh, we don't run out of storage space, really. So I, I don't actually think it's as important with physical with a digital clutter as it is with physical clutter to get rid of everything that you don't need what's more important is to have it really well organized so that you can access what you need when you need and you can always find everything and what are your thoughts on the KonMarie method of tidying up i think different methods of um decluttering and getting organized work for different people and the KonMari method seems to work really well for some people and it doesn't work very well for others and that's fine you know like some things work for some people some things work for other people it kind of strikes me a little bit as organizing for people who are naturally organized i think people who have very chaotic minds maybe they have a mental processing issue or maybe they just really struggle to think in an organized way they can find it very intimidating it can be a little bit over the top she's also quite minimalist and minimalism doesn't work for everybody it doesn't actually work for me i don't i don't want to be minimalist i like the stuff that i use on a regular basis to be easily accessible but, you know, some people find it amazing. And if it works for them, then 100% they should use it. How does decluttering your home affect your mindset? Well, clutter, all physical clutter is a manifestation of internal clutter. It's, it's all clutter is an unfinished task or a deferred decision. So when we're in a chaotic state inside, we start to amass clutter outside and one of the things I love about clutter clearing I'm, I'm someone who would always want to address the actual root of a problem rather than just the symptoms and yet somehow even though clutter is a symptom of internal clutter addressing it through the symptom seems to actually get to the root of the problem in a nice gentle roundabout way so when I'm working with people when I'm working through their stuff they start sorting out all sorts of other areas of their lives people lose weight or they get into a new relationship or they get out of a job that they hate or they finally move home or they get rid of that car they've been talking about getting rid of for ages and replace it with a better model. Or, you know, they sort things out in their lives. So yeah, external clutter is a manifestation of internal clutter. And when you start addressing your external clutter, you will inevitably address your internal clutter as well. Instead of just throwing everything in a dumpster when you're decluttering, how can you get rid of things in a more earth-friendly manner? There, there are lots of ways to do that. And, I, and I'm a really big advocate for finding the best way to dispose of stuff. And one of the things, I, again, one of the things that I really love about decluttering is how it's a, I think it's a really important tool in living a, a low-impact life. And actually, one aspect of that is acquiring less, because the best way to prevent yourself from having clutter is to acquire less in the first place. So that's the first thing, is to, is to start acquiring less. But then, you know, you obviously the stuff you've already got and that you no longer need, you need to find a good way of disposing of it. It's the mantra of reduce, reuse, recycle. So reduce the amount you bring in, try and find a reuse for anything that you no longer want or need. If you can't find a reuse for it, find a way of recycling it. And then your absolute last resort 
is to send it to landfill or incineration or whatever your local authority uses. The ways that you can find to reuse stuff if you can't reuse it yourself obviously include giving it to charity shops or thrift shops. Um, also, we have uh, Freecycle, Freegal. We have Freegal in the UK. I think you have Freecycle in, in the States, which is a web-based way or an app-based way of offering stuff that you no longer want out to your local community and people can say, oh, yeah, I can use that. That's a great way to move on stuff. You can move on stuff through that that charity shops, thrift stores can't take, like opened, um, opened uh, cosmetics or even like broken items that somebody can find a use for, you know, like broken crockery that somebody might make into a mosaic or the wax from candles that people will re remake into new candles. It's an amazing way of, of, of diverting stuff from landfill or incineration. What are the psychological reasons that we get so attached to material items? There's quite a lot of different things that go on. I'll just give you a couple of examples. One is um, the endowment effect, and that is that as soon as we own something, it appears more valuable to us. And there, there's a well-known, a well-recognized psychological study that was done whereby people were each given, they, like people were divided into two groups separately, and some were given a chocolate bar and some were given a mug. And each were told the value of the chocolate bar and the mug, and it was the same. And then after they'd been given this item, they were offered the other items. So the group that had been given the chocolate bar were offered a mug, to exchange for the chocolate bar and the people that have been given the mug were offered the chance to exchange their mug for a chocolate bar. And the same proportion of each group, and it's a high proportion, said no. They'd rather hold on to the item that they've got. Even though it's of the same value, Whether if you've been given a mug, the mug seems more valuable. If you've been given a chocolate bar, the chocolate bar seems more valuable. As soon as we own something, it seems more valuable than something that we don't own. And actually, this is just a personal theory. I've never read a scientific study to back this up. But I have a personal theory that there's such a thing as a reverse endowment effect, which is that as soon as we let something go, it appears less valuable. Because I've experienced that myself. I'm, I'm considering getting rid of an item. And I'm a bit like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should get rid of this. Oh, and I offer it on Freegal and somebody says that they want it. And I'm like, oh, I hope I'm doing the right thing. And I hand it over. And pretty much as soon as I shut the front door, I don't care. I'm totally fine with that item having gone. <laughs> it's like there's something about letting go of something that once it's no longer mine, like, yeah, actually, I don't care about that item anymore. So that's one thing, the endowment effect. Yeah, another really good one to look for is, um, this is a fun one to look for in your own life, is the sunk cost fallacy. The sunk cost of an item is the value that you have sunk into it in order to get it. So it might be money. You know, if you've bought an item of clothing and you've spent money on it, the sunk cost is the money you spent to get it. It can also be time, it can be emotion, it can be energy. And the fallacy is that you're somehow getting that value back by hanging on to the item. So take that item of clothing. You've bought a jacket, it cost £150 and you've never worn it in three years. And you keep hanging on to it because you think, but it costs so much money. Like somehow it hanging in your wardrobe is getting you that £150 back. When the truth is the 150 pounds is gone and your only choice is do i keep this jacket or not and it's a great one to look for because it's the same mental process the sunk cost fallacy has us stay in relationships that don't work and jobs that we don't enjoy and live in towns that we don't want to live in and it's stay in queues that are not getting anywhere because we've been in that queue for a certain amount of time <laughs> there's a really good one to watch for and catch yourself doing and then think actually I'm just wasting my time here I think I'm gonna go and queue somewhere else. Now some people will temporarily feel better after quote-unquote retail therapy what's your professional advice for that? 
I find that when I work with somebody over a prolonged period of time, they switch from getting satisfaction out of acquiring stuff to getting satisfaction out of not acquiring stuff. And they start to enjoy the process of thinking, nah, I'm not going to pick that thing up. I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to bring more stuff into my house. But that's, that's the most important thing I would say. Is like it is possible to get that satisfaction from the opposite instead of getting it from retail therapy. If you're not at that stage yet and you're feeling pulled to get, you know, to get some retail therapy and, and the satisfaction that you get from that, the best advice that I can give is to take a look and try and understand what aspect it is of retail therapy that gives you that satisfaction and try and find that somewhere else. So if it's, you know, being out in the hubbub of the town, can you go and do something social? If it's like just an excuse to get you out of the house, can you just go for a brisk walk? Um, if it if it's really is buying something, can you buy something for somebody else? And I don't want you to be cluttering up other people, but you know, is there a birthday coming up that you would buy a gift for? Can you focus your retail therapy on that rather than focusing it on buying something for yourself? How do you address the reason why the clutter existed in the first place and prevent the same situation from happening again down the road? I find that happens naturally as we are working through people's clutter. So as as we're starting to part with stuff, we're naturally identifying how that came to happen in the first place. And as I said, it's usually unfinished tasks and deferred decisions. So we start putting in systems to make sure those tasks happen in a timely manner and those decisions get taken in a timely manner. And that's the main thing, really, that will stop clutter building up. So systems around processing paperwork, systems around making sure the laundry gets done, and starting to talk about why these things got acquired in the first place. And what's your final piece of advice for someone looking to declutter their home? Be systematic and take it gently. Be really gentle with yourself. So choose, don't, don't try and do everything in one day, in one day, don't try and do everything in one go. Start systematically in a small area of the house, do that thoroughly, give yourself a break and reward yourself, then move on to the next area. It's a, it's a, long-term project and not something you need to do in a blitz. Where can people go to learn more about you and your decluttering process? They can go to my website, which is mygreenandtidylife.co.uk. And when they get there, they can sign up to join Green and Tidy, which will give them my free seven-part video course, the seven biggest clutter clearing mistakes and how to avoid them. You get a short video, they're less than two minutes each to show you how to avoid one of the biggest clutter clearing pitfalls. You get one of those each day for seven days. And then after that, you you hear from me weekly with tips and hints and inspiration. I'm also on YouTube at Green and Tidy Videos, Twitter, Green and Tidy, Facebook, Green and Tidy, Instagram, Green and Tidy Declutter. You can follow me on all those social media and there are links to that on my website too. Wonderful. And I'll link to everything in the show notes as well. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Hippie Haven podcast. Your support means the world to me. If you found value in today's episode, I encourage you to become a patron of the podcast. For just $5 a month, you can help me continue the educational work I'm doing here with all of my wonderful guests. And in return, I'll pick up a bag of trash in your honor. Visit patreon.com forward slash a hippie in a van to support this podcast. I also have an exclusive community for the podcast over on Facebook, so if you want to connect with me and other like-minded people, just type Hippie Haven in the Facebook search bar and join our group. Thanks again, and stay tuned every Wednesday for the next episode.